Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. This week, what we're talking about is kind of an art of coaching topic. Mm-hmm. So Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, what are we talking about today? So what we're talking about is there was a post that came up recently, which was a really interesting post. We'll talk about it a little bit, which specific post we're, we're referring to. And it brought up the challenge of what do you do when you have very forceful personalities as clients? And those forceful personalities have a way of managing their money, a desire for how they want to use their money or really anything else. But we're going to focus on managing money as a couple that you disagree with, right? And that you don't think is the right way to do it. And how do you handle that? How do you deal with that? Especially if they have a very particular, very strong opinions on things, which are opposite of your opinions on things. Yeah. And in the post that we'll reference, uh, I think the original poster didn't necessarily have a different approach to money than the clients, but this does come up from time to time as we see in the group. So just thought it'd be helpful to bring that perspective into it too. Yeah. So yeah. So why don't we start with giving some context to the post and then we'll broaden the idea and then we'll start our conversation. So do you want to read the post? It's going to say, I can most certainly do that. So this is a post by Marguerite last month, and she was looking for some constructive feedback saying she had a couple that were both very possessive and obsessive when it came to what was his and hers. They both have their own businesses, but one was renting office space from the other. She was having different sessions with each of them individually and was just trying to help move forward in terms of I'm trying to help them understand how they can both grow their individual businesses while respecting their own and each other's assets. They both understand from an intellectual standpoint, but have a hard time changing the dynamic between them. And the question was, has anyone else dealt with this or how would you approach this kind of a situation? So I think we'll speak to this post, but then also more broadly to just, yeah, couples in general. So let's start with how do you help people in a situation like this? Yeah. The, the basics is you can't force someone to do something. And what, the way that you deal with this is you have to identify something that they care about more. Because ultimately, if they have a reason, if they're doing something and you believe ah, that's probably not the best situation, there is a reason why they're doing it. it. It may not seem logical from your standpoint right. as the coach, but that's a very good point because there are reasons why we do everything. And so what we have to realize is we're not going to overcome those reasons 
with logic. Especially since, by definition, any logic you apply is not going to be relevant to them in their lives because you have not lived their lives. So an example of this might be a couple that wants to keep all of their assets separate. And they don't want to intermix assets. They don't want to have overlapping. And your belief may be that couples should work in their assets together. And there's all sorts of great reasons for this, right? It reduces the issues of being able to have infidelity, whether it's physical infidelity or financial infidelity. It improves communication. It's all these different things. And yet, all of those things are trumped if one of the two went through a horrible experience where intermixing of assets left a parent or themselves or something else destitute in the past. And while you may have all of your reasons coming at it from your perspective of, I've had really good relationships, all of those reasons kind of fall apart if that's the person's experience and they're defending against that. Now, the typical response to that might be something along the lines of, well, then maybe they shouldn't be in a relationship. They need to grow in their relationship, so on and so forth. And that's not a financial coaching issue. That is a marital counseling issue. And we have to sort of realize that sometimes the solution to the issue is not something that we can provide. Right? Yeah. And so part of it is just being comfortable with the idea that Clients may not do things the way that you think is optimal, and that's okay. And it's about having the toolbox, if you will, to be able to help people based on what it is that they want. And yeah. I think which makes niching important because mm -hmm. couples will have a different way of needing support around their finances than, or you can have more expertise around couples yeah than individuals. And then when it comes to couples, right, there are multiple ways that they can handle their finances and knowing yeah. if a couple wants to do X versus Y versus Z, what are the systems and structures and way of approaching it and handling the conversations to navigate that? So just yeah. another plug for, for niches. Yeah. And going even deeper on that plug for niches, <laughs> the reality is there are some pretty well-documented and researched inf uh, information about different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, whether or not they've been divorced in the past, all these different factors that are part of who you serve. That actually has a pretty big influence on how people tend to manage money. Mm -hmm. And so there's research that show that there is a higher percentage of this race that manages money in this way versus this race that manages money in this way. And, and you can actually break down money management by race. You can break it down by age. This is the one that's the most forced in our face of people of this idea of people who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. They tend to have more of a dynamic where the male takes on the money control role and so on and so forth. and that has somewhat of a stereotype associated with it. At the same time, there is statistical evidence of that being more common. There's differences with regards to whether this is a first, second, third marriage. And so the more that you focus on a niche and you really understand that niche in a detailed way, the more you can understand what is the likelihood that 
understanding these aspects of my clients, this is going to suggest that they have a higher likelihood of having these perspectives. And so now you know what types of things you want to have in your toolbox and, and focus on in your toolbox and possibly even bring up as proactive discussions. Yeah. And a, a good, I like how you said have it in your toolbox because it doesn't mean that, oh, if it means that this age group statistically approaches money in this way, that then, okay, well, now quacks like a duck. So I'm going to go make it walk like a duck. It doesn't mean right. that you then force people automatically because, oh, you're an old person. You're going to go do this. Yeah. Right? Okay, boomer. This is how <laughs> you're going to now manage your money. But I like it. So you have that tool available. It can help you then also from this suggestion standpoint, but make sure not to say, because you fit this box of how I see you yeah. or these particular characteristics that I'm going to only offer the suggestion because you check right. those boxes. And you want to realize that this is a lot about uh, setting your own expectations and being mm -hmm. able to say, if I'm serving this group of people, I am probably going to, I am probably going to have this experience a lot. And so if I'm going to be fighting against what this group of people, the way that they are highly likely to be managing their money, that is going to be a big problem. <laughs> and so a lot of this is also about you just having a healthy understanding of I'm serving these people, meaning it's about them, not about me. Great point. Well, I got us off on the niche track. Do you want to kind of <laughs> good job. Good job. You earned your dollar for today. There we go. Uh, <laughs> Thinking of where you were kind of speaking to couples and them having a different approach and where you want to take it next. Yeah. So let's talk about the idea of managing money separately versus managing money together. And Perfect. I think it, it's important because there is, and I'm not saying everyone in the financial coaches community believes this way, but you can tell from comments that people make that there is a very, very heavy majority of people that believe that couples should manage their money together. That joint accounts are better than everything being in separate accounts. And of course, people will respond, no, no, I believe that we should have the main joint account and everyone having their own little sub account, which is yeah. still managing your money together. You're just sort of segmenting off little playgrounds for each other. And I think it's important to realize that there are very real reasons why people would manage money separately. And that we don't ever want to assume that the way we believe that money should be managed is the right way for everyone. We can start with, well, what do you want to start? Do you want to start with the ones where you're causing problems? Or do you want to start with the ones where you're causing emotional problems? Which one do you want to start with? <laughs> As a coach? Yeah. Or which topic with regard to why managing money separately might make sense. Let's start with practical. Okay. So from a very practical standpoint, if people are in a non-community property state and they have their assets separate, then that can create a liability shield between the two sides of the equation. And this can be important if someone has a highly litigious profession that they're in. Right. From a practical side, if, well, look at the McCourts, the, the Dodgers owners that went through that very public divorce scandal. Okay. 
That whole thing started because they got a post-nuptial agreement because she didn't want him to buy the Dodgers. He wanted to buy the Dodgers. And because they still loved each other back then, <laughs> they didn't want this to break up their relationship. And so they literally separated their assets and said, great, we're going to cut everything in half. You can do whatever you want with your half. I can do whatever I want with my half so that we can maintain the relationship, even though we have very different views of how we want to manage money. So this was literally a way to save the relationship and it wasn't going to work otherwise. <laughs> it's funny. I'm like the conversations they have about buying a baseball team is like the conversations we have about like going out to dinner. Right. You know, it's like, no, you can't go out to dinner, but I want to, but no, you can't buy the Dodgers, but I want to. Yeah. Like some people have very, very different, different lives worlds. than I do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So when we look at this idea of there are practical implications, I mean, there are ones that we can cast bigger judgments on that I kind of wanted to stay away from. But if you have potential things with regards to legal consequences, and I mean, like criminal legality consequences. Filing, married filing separately is one of the worst ways that you can possibly file. But if your spouse wants to do illegal things on their tax return, you don't want to sign it because you don't want to be involved in those illegal things. Because whether you file the tax return or not, you signing it means you are now legally culpable. Yeah, you should probably separate finances. <laughs> and that gets to kind of the larger question of marital counseling or yep. conversation, potentially. But or, or lawyer conversations. Right. right. But also, you know, that idea of helping people where they are, like, what if they just say, this is what we want to do? Yeah. And that's the other side of it is the emotional side, which is realize that people have, aside from the practical things we just talked about, people have all sorts of emotional and relational reasons for this. We have to realize that we are all imperfect beings. And it's very easy to look at someone else and see their imperfections and feel like, well, you need to just get over your imperfections. But, you know, I have clients, for example, where they're married, they're very happily married, they've got a very good relationship, but one of them has had money management issues in the past and has a whole bunch of stuff related to their upbringing that mm -hmm. causes just bad money habits. Self-sabotaging patterns. The other one has trust issues from their past, yeah. especially around finances, having been burned in the past and so on and so forth. And we might look at that and say, well, that's a horrible relationship. The fact of the matter is they actually have a really good relationship, but they are struggling with their weaknesses happen to be the exact things that feed off of each other in a negative way. And me looking and judging them and saying, well, you guys just need to get over yourselves and manage your money together is neither helpful nor the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. And instead you can look at how do we set this up structurally so that they hit each other less. Right. So that the things that trigger each other, especially around money, you can do structural things, like you said, to help that. Yeah, separating assets, having each side manage things separately, not having a joint bank account. <laughs> and, and the reality is we all have flaws. Even me. Yeah. 
well, I mean, when I say we, you know, <laughs> you're us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we, we all have flaws and we have to realize that a part of life is figuring out how to manage them. And part of that with regards to finances is realizing that there are multiple ways to manage finances and jointly is not the one and true, you know, God handed down on from high, right? <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, when we had the term life insurance mm -hmm. versus whole or universal, this idea that like one is inherently better and applicable yeah. in all situations. Just reminded me of that a bit. One is inherently better in this particular situation, and one is inherently better in that particular situation, and this may not be the same one. For sure. It's very much very specific, yeah. What else? I was going to say, we're going to keep it short today. So if anyone yeah. has questions in the comments, we have about five minutes that we can take some questions. In case anyone is like, I want to find something fun to do, uh, in 25 I haven't heard enough of these two jackballs <laughs> talking. <laughs> Yahoo's. Yeah, we'll, I'll put that in the comments, the link to that. If you want to jump last minute, or even if you can't make it, you will get a recording mm -hmm. of the behind the scenes webinar that we do is we look behind the curtain at launch, what the three different phases look like, everything that you get with launch, the office hours to the hosted website, hosted sales website, which we'll go into. Advice pay, the payment processor, and knowledge center, yada, 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 all the things. I'll put the link in there for you to check out. But I don't see any questions that have come in so far. So we're going to call it early. We're going to call it early. A nice and short one. Cool. Anything I missed? Think we're good? I mean, I'm sure there's tons of stuff yeah, that we missed, but we've got future whatever. lives for that. Yeah. That's true. We do them on the regular. And so we'll see you back next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.